Hello everyone and welcome to the Tidewad Tech Episode 8 Starving Artist for the week of July 22nd, 2010. Today we'll be talking about Tidewad tools for the starving artist out there. If you're uh, um, an aspiring artist, a digital artist, a photographer, a creator of content and whatever visual medium you choose, hopefully we'll have some uh, tools to help you out in that uh, Tidewad style. Some free or very inexpensive tools that, uh, as we like to have them, are cr- cross-platform and education-friendly. Uh, this is our... We hadn't been with you for a while. We, uh, our last episode was a couple of weeks ago, so... Um, just to tell you a little bit about what we've been up to, uh, as we mentioned before, we're doing a lot of things this summer, but uh, this week, uh, and really part of last week too, our world has been consumed with uh, a technology conference that our school put on. Uh, we did uh, uh, for, our, for our teachers. <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you stretched that a little bit. Our school put on? Is that our school? <laughs> okay, that Sean and I put on. <laughs> um, yeah, the... the uh, the original intent was that it would be a uh, a training opportunity for our teachers sponsored by um, a statewide organization that we're both a part of. Uh, but really, as it turned out, it was pretty much just the two of us. Yeah, although I mean, definitely credit is due to the school because, well, that's where a lot of the money came from. That's true. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and other people kicked in cash too, but it, you know, I only say that, uh, just to say that we've, uh, uh, our, our show preparation is a little lax today. So if it seems, uh, that we're sort of just reading websites, that's only because we are. Um, well, we, sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, copy and pasted from websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not actually in the website, it's in a Google Doc. <laughs> So anyway, um, before we get on here today, Sean wanted me to mention uh, something that he and I have talked about uh, uh, recently. Um, two weeks ago uh, was my wife's birthday, and she wanted a new phone for her birthday. And uh, she'd been a BlackBerry user. We're both BlackBerry users and very happy with it. Um, but she decided she wanted to move away from the BlackBerry, and uh, she didn't want an iPhone. The new iPhone 4 was coming out, but... Uh, for whatever reason, she just didn't want one. Uh, and maybe it's uh, Sean's vitriol and hatred of Macs that have bled over. No, she doesn't listen to the show, so that wouldn't be right. Like, yeah, she uh, doesn't know that, really. Uh, 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 I'm a little shocked that when you said that, that she didn't yeah. actually jump on that being a teacher. I find that interesting, really. She's an elementary education teacher. She's not a techie. Uh, she just, you know, likes the toys. And um, the iPhone is a great toy. Sure. Um, but you know, she's had the iPad around the house and she knows that the iPhone is essentially a smaller version of the iPad and, and just didn't appeal to her. So, uh, we went looking, uh, for Android options, um, uh, until HP revitalizes the Palm line. That's pretty much the, the three choices out there. Blackberry, which she already had, uh, iPhone and Android. I, I'm curious, uh, with that said, as far as, uh, why she wasn't. Well, I mean, she pretty much already had, I think, the latest BlackBerry out, but I was right. curious why she was looking to change or get away from the BlackBerry. Um, well, BlackBerry has some hardware issues, uh, particularly the Curve series. Uh, I mean, a, a quick search on the Internet will tell you that uh, they are not the best hardware out there. 
Well, um, yeah, we've yeah. we've sent several back under warranty right. or or insurance. Here at our school, our administrators all carry Blackberries, and uh, we pretty much have a revolving door with AT and T on those things. And and I've talked to other people, and and uh, uh, you know, my wife's phone is only a year and a half old, and we're on our third one now. That uh, buttons just stop working, you know. Uh, uh, Trackball. Right. One day you wake up, you plugged it in the night before, and it was fine. The next day, nothing. It won't turn on, turn on, won't do anything. And, and you know, there's a problem when you call AT&T where, where we live. AT&T is pretty much the only choice, uh, for carriers. So, but you call AT&T and we say, we've got this problem and they don't argue with you. you right. know, that's, that's when you know it's a real problem. Right. Um, and so, uh, she was just kind of fed up with Blackberry and I can't, I can't blame her. I kind of am too at this point. Uh, I know that they have their new, uh, uh, OS five coming out. That's, uh, <laughs> pretty much an iPad, iPhone clone. Um, but you know, as much as I love my BlackBerry, I really do uh, like the way it's it's built uh, and the way the the, the sort of uh, Zen of BlackBerry. It's something that we've never talked about on the show before. You know, we're a, a tech show, and and to the real um, driving force in tech right now is the mobile market. Yeah. Um, when people ask me whether they sh- what smartphone they should get, you know, an iPhone or a BlackBerry or whatever, uh, the what I tell them is that an iPhone is a music player that mostly makes phone calls. Um, it, it's it's not really good at phone calls, right. uh, and particularly those who have the new uh, iPhone four and and uh, want to actually hold the phone. Yeah. Um, that seems to be a problem. Uh, it, it works fine as long as you lay it on the desk and and don't hold it. Um, iPhones, that's just not what they're built for. They were the, they sort of introduced the modern smartphone market and their pocket computers. And, and I'm not bashing the iPhone. That's Sean's job. That's what he does. Uh, they're, they're good products. They're good hardware and, and probably best in class hardware. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it, communication is not their primary function. And uh, that's where the Blackberry excels. Right. And that's where the Blackberry, uh, they're built from the ground up. To be communication devices, uh, uh, their text input, their sending email. I, I mean, the BlackBerry is an email device that makes phone calls. You know, and I think it's probably the one of the best phones in terms of clarity and and uh, the speaker phone and the the microphone clarity. Uh, in my experience, and I haven't just dealt with thousands of handsets, but certainly dozens, the Blackberries are the best overall phones on the market and you know they most of them have the physical keyboard uh what was it the uh storm that they they tried the the touch touch screen screen. on that uh didn't really have wide market adoption i think that's because the people who are blackberry people don't want that they want a keyboard yeah if they wanted that they'd probably get an iphone right so um when when we decided to buy her a phone um she didn't know what an android was you know other than, you know, a, a robot on Star Trek. Uh, so I introduced her a little bit to, to Android and, and, and explained to her that, you know, it's sort of a competitor to the iPhone. And so we started looking. And again, as I said, in our area, AT&T is really our only choice. Uh, they're the only people with towers around us. And um, AT&T right now offers two Android phones. I forget what they are. And they're uh, one of the things that appeals to me as an open source advocate about um, Android is its openness. Uh, the fact that you can uh, do what they call sideloading, and that's uh, add an app to the phone without going through any other interface. You just download it, you know, um, uh, Blackberries, that's just sort of a trademark. You go to a website and you download something. Right. Um, 
the the phones that are available on AT and T you can't do that. The only way to do it is through their app store. They're they're chasing the the uh, AT and the, the the iPhone model, and uh, and we didn't want that. We wanted the ability to um, sideload our apps and and just kind of put whatever we want to on it, which meant that we couldn't really do uh, a an officially AT and T sponsored phone. So the next logical choice was the Google Nexus One. So for about two weeks ago. Um, I bought my wife the Google Nexus One, and in you know about 16 days or so, I think I've held it maybe five minutes. She won't give it up. Right, she, she won't loves let that me touch phone. it. So I would love to sit here and give you an in-depth Android app uh, uh, review or a Nexus One review, but I can't because I don't ever get my hands on it. <laughs> and I, I think I actually got to hold it before you did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and maybe that is the best review I could give it, that a non-technical, non-geek uh, elementary school teacher won't give it up. Um, you know, Android has this reputation of being the geek's uh, OS, that it's the smartphone for the nerd. And there is certainly a lot out there for the nerd, but in terms of just picking up and being able to use it, um, it's it's really really nice the screen is nice the browser blows the blackberry browser out of the water right uh, browsing Feels the web good in the hand yeah browsing the web on a blackberry is a slow and painful experience and all of you blackberry users out there know that right uh on the android it's it's great flash video works uh you can actually download flash 10.1 on it and um you know everything works uh, java works it's it's a linux os right there in your in the palm of your hand so it's it has all that stuff that the iPhone has and that the, the great touch uh, interface and the pinch and zoom and all that sort of stuff and flash, right? Know, that's a pretty good, uh, um, combination in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a beautiful phone. It was funny though, you know, not being a, a iPhone user or anything like that. It, when she first gave it to me, I couldn't figure out how to unlock it. You know, right, you got to slide the little lock. Yeah, you got to touch and slide the little lock, and uh, so yeah, it, it, I had to come back to her and say, uh, "How do you unlock this thing?" So uh, yeah, it was funny. So anyway, um, what I now know about the Google Nexus One is I want one. Um, but uh, how's the call qu- call quality and as far as dropping calls and things like that? Have you? You know, we just don't have that issue. I know a lot of people whine about the iPhone and AT&T, and they blame AT&T for a lot. But we never have that problem where we live. Um, just recently, like, you know, I, I mentioned we went to Branson. We went through four states, and I didn't lose signal except when I was, like, in the foothills of the mountains when you, where you wouldn't expect a signal anyway. Right. Uh, people need to lay off AT&T. In well, certain parts I, of the same country, thing with my BlackBerry. I mean, right. it's, you know, I, I've always got a signal. Certain parts of the country, they have just an awesome network and and you know i i'm not one to defend uh company they've got lots of issues you know any any cell company does and there are things that they could be doing differently but these people who whine about the fact that the iphone would be the perfect device on another network uh, maybe it's just where they live but around here at&t is great and uh, so no i we i don't think we've ever dropped a call i will say however the microphone is not terribly sensitive and maybe that's some of the noise canceling features i don't know but uh if you if you don't hold the phone where the mic is right in front of your mouth it's hard to hear 
and okay. I'm constantly telling my wife, honey, you've got to put the phone in front of your face. And and maybe the Blackberry was more sensitive and she got accustomed to it, you know, being at chin level maybe. I don't know. But um, pretty much every time we're on the phone, I have to tell her, honey, you have to put that phone right next to your mouth or I can't hear you. Right. So you could call that a, a, a deficit or a feature. I don't know which. Okay. Sounds good. Well, it sounds like it's it's a success at least. Yeah, and uh, the you know the biggest down uh, point of it is, you know, after tax and everything, it was like six hundred bucks because it's not subsidized through a through a phone provider. But the original iPhones were like that too. People paid five six hundred dollars for their iPhones yeah. originally. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so there's yeah. our. Not really a review of of Android. I, I don't have a, a any cool apps to tell you or anything about. What one thing I do like, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing I really do like about it is the fact that um, just out of the box, part of the Android feature is that it gets to be a Wi-Fi hotspot. And so uh, when when we were out uh, recently, um, I had the iPad and the kids wanted to watch something on Netflix. We just pushed a button, and her phone became an access point that the that the iPad connected to, and and boom, they're watching Netflix on the iPad through her 3G connection. That's pretty cool. That is cool. And uh, you know, Verizon has the little MiFi device that you pay. I don't know. I think it's like sixty dollars a month for. And uh, on the iPhone, you can do that, but you pay an extra uh, whatever through AT and T. On the Nexus One, it's just a button you push, and it's just there. Very nice. I suspect that would not be on the Android phones that I bought through AT&T. I have a feeling they would have turned that off. But since I bought the Google unadulterated Android phone uh, with the 2.2, the Froyo uh, OS, uh, it's just there and it's just a button and it just works. Uh, a little value add out there if you're considering that. If you think about if you're a MiFi user right now or, or want to be, you figure that's uh, you know 50 or 60 bucks a month. Um, in a year's time, you will have spent as much as the phone cost you. Yeah. Just uh, watch your data usage now, right? Right. Yeah, we're grandfathered in. We have the unlimited plan still, so that's not really an issue for us. But AT and T doesn't have the unlimited anymore. But their prices are relatively reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. Thirty dollars a month for five gigs, I think. Yeah. Well, and that's that's just uh, it's one of those. Uh, it's going to be a gotcha for some people here in the near future, as as much streaming video is is going on now, like you said with Netflix. And, uh, so, uh, you know, the heavier users, but I, I think the casual users, like what you just mentioned there, you're, you're only going to do that maybe a couple times a month. And you probably, even if you were on a limited plan, you're not going to run into, uh, you're not going to run into that ceiling very often. Probably not. You know, yeah. we'll just see. Yeah. All right. So anyway, <clears throat> on with the show, uh, so to speak, uh, when we, when you talk about open source or, or free, uh, uh, art and video editing or excuse me photo editing software the 800 pound gorilla in the ring is the gimp and uh sean and i have both been gimp users for years right um i have taught classes in it and and have uh, quite a bit of experience with it um here at our school uh we for about five or six years now have been doing our yearbook digitally and um the the producer the the publisher says you need photoshop we've never used photoshop we've always used gimp and uh, so uh, for those of you who don't know gimp 
um, stands for GNU Image Manipulation Program. Originally, I think it was the General Image Manipula- Manipulation Program. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It uh, started as a, a college uh, project uh, from uh, two fellows, Spencer Kimball and Peter Mattis uh, at Berkeley. Uh, and they uh, wanted to, they, they had to write a program for one of their uh, senior level uh, programming classes. And they thought, well, let's see if we can copy Photoshop. And and they did, and they got their grade, and then they released it in the open source. And since then, it's just kind of gone crazy since... Uh, 95 what is that 15 years now yeah that's Um, hard to believe i know uh i want to say i started using it around maybe 2002 yeah for me it would have been in 97 98 it was it was pretty young when i first picked it up and um and it's just it's just exploded out there there's a huge open source community around it and uh, so i don't want to say that gimp is photoshop it's not but i would be willing to say that almost everything you can do in photoshop you can do in gimp at no cost. Right. And uh, so, uh, like Photoshop, it's a complicated interface. It's a multi-windowed uh, interface with lots of different tools, and you've got your multiple layers and your uh, multiple layer masks and, and different effects you can do. So it's not something you can just pick up and start using. Uh, it's not the tool that you want to use if you just want to take Grandma's red eye out of the Christmas pictures. Right. Uh, that's not what the GIMP is for. The GIMP is a, f- a professional quality um, product. Now, interestingly, it is not, uh, printing is probably its weakest, um, area. It's, it's just sort of not, uh, built for that. Uh, it doesn't have the CYMK stuff that you would need to send to a printer that, uh, that Photoshop does have built in. And the print mechanism itself is pretty weak. Um, if you go to print something out of the GIMP, it, it's, uh, it'll only print the active layer and, and then it doesn't do a great job. So you kind of have to save it and open it in something else to print. But that's sort of not what they're built for. Like we were saying about the BlackBerry, uh, they weren't built for browsing the web. So it's a weak interface, but it's a great phone. And GIMP is built, uh, from the ground up with the idea of uh, creating web graphics and, and fully digital things. So if you are somebody who needs to interact with a print shop, um, you're going to need Photoshop. But if, uh, for the vast majority of audiences out there, um, GIMP is going to be more than you need. Absolutely. And that's like, uh, you know, in an education environment where you're, again, like you said, the teachers usually have them working on some sort of a graphics project or something, uh, where it's going to stay in a, uh, digital format anyways, or, or like you said, you save the file and it merges down those layers and then you've got something, uh, JPEG or something like that that right. you can open up and, and print if you need to. For the most part, you know, realistically in an education, um, scenario what you're going to use uh, gimp for is producing something to put into a, f- a powerpoint right since powerpoint is the only tool that education knows how to use apparently <laughs> uh so um wow that's mark m-a-r-k <laughs> at the tightwadtech.com that's right <laughs> teachers lay off powerpoint yes definitely i agree with you there way overused repent <laughs> so um 
Yeah, so GIMP.org, check it out, G-I-M-P dot O-R-G. Um, if you've got any Linux in, uh, installation laying around uh, prior to Ubuntu 10.4, it probably came with uh, with GIMP. Uh, as of uh, 10.4, Ubuntu decided not to they, because it's not the one that you can just pick up and use. Uh, it doesn't uh, come with it anymore. I thought that was an interesting uh, choice that they made. They put, uh, I think it's called F-Spot in there now or... or, or Something like that. Um, and I guess we probably should have done some research on that. But it's Linux only, which is why we really kind of didn't, because we're looking at uh, uh, cross-platform stuff as much as possible. And the GIMP is uh, cross-platform. Works on. I use it on Windows all the time. Works on Linux. There are Mac implementations of it. Um, there are paid uh, Mac implementations. I think it's called Mac GIMP out there. Um, but you don't have to pay for it. There are free versions that uh, that you can find on 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 the Mac. Um, what what I want to throw in here is uh, because I'm a big reader of manuals, and uh, that's one thing that really got me going on GIMP when I first looked at it is it's always been very well documented. And uh, so if you're one of these people who have used, well, some of the other products that we're going to actually talk about that are much simpler and, you know, give you a short list of functionality, red eye reduction and things like that. And you've enjoyed doing that. And maybe you're wanting to move into something more, uh, more advanced. Uh, the GIMP's a great choice because there's a lot of documentation out there. Uh, huge community. And, Tutorials all over the place. Right. Uh, uh, a popular one and one that I just, I haven't even really dedicated to memory is, uh, you know, when you take the photo, you take a uh, photo and make it black and white and then, you know, colorize a certain portion of it, maybe the subject's eyes or some flowers or something like that. And, uh, uh, it, it was just really simple. You know, you, you can do a Google search and you come up with, uh, you know, YouTube videos and everything, all kinds of stuff on how to do that stuff. So, uh, pretty much anything cool that you've seen out there, there's a tutorial or something in the manual uh, about how to do it. So if you're wanting to get more advanced, uh, GIMP's a great option. And it is, as I said earlier, a professional-grade application. I know uh, professional photographers uh, who uh, do their touch-ups in GIMP rather than Photoshop. Um, um, interestingly, I, I read – I'm going to get all of these facts wrong. Just I'm going to say that out from the, uh, from the beginning because it was several years ago. Uh, but several years ago in Australia, um, they did an experiment with uh, like a hundred different high schools, and they did the same uh, course, year-long course, and they started half of them on GIMP at the beginning of the year, and half of them on Photoshop at the beginning of the year, and then in, in halfway through they swapped out, and um, they wanted to see uh, are these two tools compatible? Uh, you know, is is can you get the same? product out of GIMP that you can uh, Photoshop, and they wanted to gauge um, user um, like acceptance of it and, and that yeah. sort of thing. And so what they found out at the end of this year-long study was the product were virtually identical, uh, the, that what the students created uh, with both tools uh, met their requirements, and really looking at one tool or a photo, looking at a photo or an image, you couldn't tell which tool it was created with. But also, interestingly, they found that whichever one you started on, you hated the other one. So those who started with Photoshop hated the GIMP with a passion. And those who started with the GIMP hated Photoshop with a passion. Yeah. So it's not a question of, of what it can do. It's more a question of what you're used to. And right. so if you're a Photoshop user and you sit down and use the GIMP, uh, according to our friends uh, in Australia, you're probably going to hate it. Uh, but 
that doesn't mean you can't use it because what their study also found is that at the end of that initial adjustment time, even though they were kicking and cursing at it, they produced the same product. And so, uh, again, I started out by saying GIMP is not Photoshop, but it's probably all the Photoshop most people will ever need. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that, you know, it's only at the extreme high end and, uh, the, you know, the really, uh, well, professional users that may end up having to go over to Photoshop to gain some functionality or they're working in a shop that, you know, supports Photoshop, uh, you know, something of that nature. But for 98% of the rest of the world, yeah, the GIMP's going to be more than enough. And I have sat down at Photoshop terminals before and knew my way around because of my experience with the GIMP. They're sim- similar enough. Uh, the menus aren't named the same, same things and, and they're not in the same places, but uh, they're similar enough that you can move around. It's like moving from uh, Microsoft Word to OpenOffice. You know, the, right. the things are in a different place and they're not called the same thing, but the task that you're doing is the same. Right. And so I'm going to move along here to probably the opposite end of the spectrum here from the uh, ultimate professional tool to the very light tool, and that's Picasa. Uh, Picasa was acquired by Google sometime back, um, and it's... Uh, it's July 2004. Uh, there you go. Yeah, my they, statistician there has yeah, all that information. Yeah, there's my fact-checking. <laughs> uh, and I've been using Picasa since before Google bought it, um, so it's been on my home computer for a while now. And um, uh, we put it here in the editing uh, show... And it kind of really doesn't belong there. It's not an editor. It does have some very limited editing tools. Right. Uh, but it's mainly an organizer. It's, uh, uh, similar to iPhoto on, on, uh, on the Mac, uh, from what I hear. I don't have a Mac, haven't used it, but that's what I'm told by people who do use it. Uh, it'll, it scans your hard drive and indexes all your photos and groups them all together based on, uh, properties, uh, based on, um, uh, the date that they were taken. It assumes that if, if you took a lot of photos between July 1st, 2008 and July 10th, 2008, you must have been on a trip or something. It'll make an album out of that. And now, They've uh, just relatively recently acquired uh, or uh, included some face recognition, so it'll right. it'll find all the pictures that have the same person in it, uh, which is kind of a cool sort of thing. Well, and Google's integrated it with uh, geotagging as well. So uh, if you go out on Google Earth and you see uh, the pictures, you know, so you can go and look at like Mount St. Helens, and it'll pull up hundreds of pictures around Mount St. Helens, and that's. Uh, people using Picasso and geotagging those and, and making them publicly available. So, uh, you know, with today's social networks, uh, you know, it's a pretty cool tool, tool. Uh, but like you said, the editing, uh, virtues are, are not very, yeah, it's, you know, very, big. it has what a lot of things have the magic button, the fix it button, right. uh, that'll adjust, uh, things uh, like the, uh, the gamma correction and things like that, that, that are, uh, if your shutter was a little too washed out or whatever. And, and that generally works pretty well. Generally you put, hit the, the auto button, it'll do it. And red eye reduction is great. I mean, literally there's a button that says remove red eye and it finds the red eye and removes it. And, and so it's, it's not a video editor in, in, or excuse me, photo editor in the traditional sense but it'll crop a photo that's too big you know if you break up with, with your boyfriend you can cut him out of all your pictures uh using uh picasa it does that um as far as i know and uh sean you've done the research on this it is a windows only tool 
Is that correct? Uh, actually, no. It. Uh, let me see here. I, think I know. This... I know it runs on Linux, but you have to run Wine, which is, you know, essentially still a, a Windows only tool. Well, what it what it was because uh, I did see that in here is uh, there's a the version now that they're distributing for Linux uh, is like a packaged. It's packaged with a Wine. Uh, emulator from right. what I understood. So I haven't seen that in action, but it, it's, uh, it's packaged up that way to make it work on Linux. Right. But still, for all intents and purposes, it's a Windows only tool, but you can use those tricks to make it run in Linux. Uh, but there are Linux alternatives like FSpot that I mentioned earlier that do the same thing. And there's Picasa Web, uh, right. which has almost all the same functionality of Picasa, but it's your web documents. It's not scanning your local hard drive, but, uh, for example, you can point it, you can upload like Flickr, you can upload all your pictures to Picasa Web and it'll organize them and do all that stuff for you on the web. Uh, right. And then you get uh, many of those same features in a cloud-based solution, which is nice because uh, your stuff is not on your hard drive. And if your hard drive dies, it's out there on Picasso Web. Right. And also what I like about it is just the, uh, I guess, kind of the social aspect. You're there. You can share it. Uh, it, it ties into all of your social accounts if you want it to. Uh, but also if you're using it in a classroom environment and you want to have some control over it, uh, it allows you to do that you can send out a, a protected link that uh, you know only people who have that link can access your album or uh, you can password protect it so it gives you a, a lot of options there so pretty cool so it's just funny I, I was just sort of listening to us as we talk and what the web has done to our language look at the words that we just used picasa aviary flicker google uh it was just you know we just throw those things around like yeah it's no big aviary is like right. the only word in that group uh, <laughs> i think google is sort of a word it's a number but uh, i just it just caught me funny and then we just say oh you just go to flicker like that's a thing flicker right. is is like word letters put together and it means something well and even nowadays you would have to assume that probably the average person even if they don't use flicker understands that it you know what it has right. something to do with you know photography or just think about the things that, that we do moodle and joomla and and kaltura and all these things it's just the web is changing the way we speak fundamentally right all right, so off of that, so that's uh, Picasso Web. Uh, that's a, a handy resource that uh, I recommend you check into. Um, it's uh, you know it's it's lightweight as an editor, but what it really does well is organize. Um, and uh, that's about all for there. So then we'll move into uh, uh, what I'd already mentioned, Aviary, uh, and that's a, a tool that uh, um, we mentioned previously in our. Um, uh, Ragamuffin Rockstar episode as right. having a good uh, audio editor, uh, but also the Aviary Suite has uh, some uh, video tools as well. Uh, one of which is the Phoenix Image Editor, and uh, Phoenix is uh, um, a tool that uh, you said it again. Video, <laughs> I, man, can't get that off the I, brain. I've got video today. on the brain. Right. Every okay, folks. Every time I say the word video, insert the word photo because that's <laughs> or image that's, or yeah, something. Yeah. 
Uh, Aviary is a is a photo editor, it, and it's uh, it's sort of GIMP like uh, light or Photoshop light. It, it has some of those same features. It has the uh, uh, the layering tools and and the uh, you know the ability to, to create multiple uh, layered documents and and has the blur and the shadow and and the sort of things that you uh, might use in a more advanced thing, not just the the basic red eye or crop or or whatever. Right. Um, but it's not um, it's not a full featured suite because we're just not ready for that in web apps yet. Uh, I think of it like Photoshop Elements if you've used that, or Web Elements, or, or what? There's some Photoshop. I'm, I'm it's blanking on me right now, but Photoshop has a web version of their tool. It, it's like that, and it's a handy tool. What's the the best thing about that is that it's it's again it's cloud based. You can use it anywhere uh, with GIMP or Photoshop or, or whatever. You, you've got to have your platform, and with Aviary, you just need Flash. Any any computer that can run Flash. So uh, even a a, a modest powered netbook or even on your phone really uh you could do what you need to do oh wait unless it's an iphone uh right. <laughs> but you you know you could do what you need to do um so uh uh it also has uh, a tool called raven uh which is a vector graphics editor and uh, uh let me just get a little geeky here for a second um <laughs> like I'm not always geeky. Right. Let me get a little more geeky here for a second. Uh, there are two types of, uh, primarily two types of, of images. There's raster graphics and there's vector graphics. And, and the bitmaps and the JPEGs and things that we're used to, those are raster graphics. And, and what that is is, uh, the machine, uh, reads a file that says this pixel is this color and then the pixel beside it is this color and the pixel beside that is this color and that's why if you've ever uh, taken a small like a, a web image and blown it up it looks pixelated you get those squares it looks like a mosaic pattern uh, that's because the bitmap um lays all that out in a specific frame, like uh, 256 dots by 256 dots, and that's what it lays out. And, and, yeah, specific resolution. Right. No matter how big you get it, it's always that many dots. Right. And so uh, that's why uh, you sometimes get that effect. With with vector graphics, it's a mathematical representation of an image. And so basically there's an equation in there that says start at this uh, coordinate and go uh, by this slope for this long and and you create a line and then you make a, a point here and and those mathematical ratios never change they get bigger or smaller and so you can infinitely scale a vector graphic you can make something really small and blow it up to building size and it's fine and so the print industry uh, um Anybody who's doing logo work or T-shirt work or something like that, they generally request vector graphics. Uh, like uh, just uh, last year, I ordered some USB drives, customized drives for our teachers here at the school, and I had our logo put on them. And when I asked them for, when I told them I wanted a logo, they asked me for an SVG file, scalable vector graphics file, because that's how they work on those sort of things. Uh, so uh, that's kind of a, a um, narrow use case. But it's, uh, for people who are into that sort of thing, uh, vector graphics are like the, the thing and they kind of laugh at, uh, at raster graphics. Uh, uh, raster graphics are sort of a hack to get the job done. Vector graphics are, are actually the image. But the issue is it's, since it's all lines and whatever, you don't ever, you don't ever get like a, a, a real circle. Um, you get a, a collection of really short lines. It, uh, um, 
that makes up something that looks like a circle, which technically is how a, a bitmap does. I'm just getting too geeky. I'm going to stop right now. Um, <laughs> there are yeah. differences between the two. Most of the time, what you're going to want to use is Phoenix. But if you need vector graphics, Aviary has that there. And, and uh, comparable vector graphics tools would be like Adobe's InDesign is a, a vector graphics tool. Um, uh, no, not InDesign, but Illustrator. Mm, um, yeah. And so... Uh, if you need that sort of stuff, it's right there in Aviary. Uh, and then also Aviary has something called a Peacock Effects Editor, which is really just sort of a toy. It's a visual toy. It doesn't actually create like photographs or logos or artwork. Uh, it creates blurs and, and shadows and, and uh, something you might see on a screensaver or a, or a cool uh, desktop background. But those sort of things can be incorporated into a project uh, or, or it's sort of ancillary tool to what you might use for Phoenix or Raven. So, but anyway, that's, a, that's another tool there. And, and the Aviary Suite is free. Uh, which is pretty amazing. And I'm not sure how much space you get on their, their regular system, but I know, uh, if you have a Google Apps account, it ties right into that and uses your Google Apps space, um, which is, is fairly, um, uh, extensive. Uh, about that, uh, Google Apps, we talk about it, Google Apps for schools, whatever. If, if you have your own website out there, even if you have somebody who did it for you, if you have something like GoDaddy.com and you just have, you know, mywebsite.com and that's, you know, the Johnson family or whatever, uh, you can set up a Google Apps account for that for free. I think the free account gives you up to 50 users. Which I don't know many family members who have less than 50, uh, have more than 50, uh, I don't know how many families who have more than 50 users. Wow. I'm going to have to go back and edit that to make myself sound less stupid. <laughs> uh, or even if you're a small business, um, it's a great little tool out there, uh, that is available. So, you know, just a little free plug for Google apps. You get all the Google docs goodness and the Google mail and, and aviary plugs right into it. And, and there's other things out there and that can all can be had relatively easily and at no cost. So there's just a, an extra plug for Google there. But, uh, so, there's aviary we've talked about uh, uh gimp and picasa and now uh aviary and and so those are some of the tools that uh are tightwad approved for uh for starving artists artists out there um and what else we got sean uh well and this uh this one uh is a mac only tool so I don't know if it's appropriate that so I, why are you I, talking I, about right, it? Yeah. that I bring it up, but I did have a teacher, uh, swear by it, uh, definitely, uh, uh liked it, uh, draw it light. And, uh, just by virtue of the light, I'm going to assume that there is a paid for version. Right. It's probably feature limited. We really couldn't test it because we don't have any Macs on hand. Right. But and he, the website doesn't say much about it. He again did, uh, uh, he did mention it several times as we were talking. He was actually uh, possibly going to come on this episode, and uh, he would have been a better one to actually speak about this tool. But if you're a Mac user out there, uh, if you haven't already looked at it, and I don't know if it's something that just comes on a Mac or if it's something you've got to go out there and get. But no, I'm sure you've got to go download it. Right. So, uh, yeah. Definitely for you Mac users out there, check out Draw It. Light. It's a vector graphics tool as well, uh, so it would be like uh, Raven. It's it's not a uh, Photoshop type tool. It's more an Adobe Illustrator type tool. Right, right. Um, and uh, that's all we can really say about that. 
<laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and then lastly is a tool that um, it's kind of hard to figure out who owns this one because it seems to have uh, been acquired by a couple of different people and, and different people use it as their back end, but it's Picnic, P-I-C-N-I-K. It's an online photo editing service, and, and that's all it is. It's photo editing. You're not going to be able to create anything with that, and, and let's, let me stop there for just a second. Um, uh, there's a difference between editing a photo and creating digital artwork. Right. And... Um, uh, Picasa and Picnic um, and and Picasa Web. These are tools that edit photos. You start with something, and then you make minor edits to it. Uh, GIMP and uh, part of the Aviary suite there, uh, and um, Draw It Light. These are tools that you start can start with a blank canvas and right. create something that doesn't exist. Or you can import a picture and edit it. So again, that's the power of, of those sort of tools. But, uh, Picnic is strictly an image editor. Right. And, uh, I think, you know, we, we kind of draw the line there. I think the geeks are going to like the tools like Phoenix and, and the GIMP and, uh, but teachers and working with students may, uh, you know, depending on what they're doing, if they're working on a project where they are working with photos, uh, they're going to go more towards the other, uh, you know, picnics and Picassas. I personally don't go for picnic or Picasso or anything like that because GIMP's my tool, right? I can just uh, pull a photo into GIMP and do whatever I want to it. Uh, but there, there's a technical learning curve there. Uh, and if you're a teacher and you don't want to have to spend all this time learning an advanced program, then, uh, uh, these are the places you go. Picnic, Picasa. Um, I think the aviary suite does a really good job of simplifying some of that stuff. And so. picnic.com, P-I-C-N-I-K.com. You just, you upload a picture and, and it has those, those easy buttons that, uh, I think we mentioned earlier, um, where it's just, you know, the, the make it better button. Uh, right. What was that, uh, Remember those Windows commercials? Hello, I'm four and I'm a PC. Remember that? Right. That girl uploaded the picture and I remember her saying, I'm going to make this picture much better. And she clicks a button. There, much better. You know, yeah. it's the, the magic fix it button. And Picasa has that. And, uh, if you know where to find it, uh, GIMP has that and, and Picnic has that. And it's just, uh, it'll adjust the, you know, the lighting and, and, and contrast and that sort of thing. Uh, but you can upload, uh, Picnic. Uh, upload a picture to Picnic and play with it. Or if you're using Flickr um, and you click the edit button in Flickr, it's going to pull up Picnic. Or if right. you're using Picasa Web and you want to edit it, it's going to use Picnic. So Picnic is the back end for all these other tools, so it must be pretty good. Right, uh, and it also integrates like like Picasa does. Uh, it, it can integrate with a lot of your other social networking sites. So if you've got a bunch of pictures on Facebook or uh, anywhere else, uh, it can connect to those and draw those pictures in uh, in their native format, and then you can edit them and uh, and even push them back out if you wanted to. So uh, uh, it's again, it's a it's a neat one as far as the social side goes. Um, it, I'm really not as familiar with Picnic as far as it's, uh, it, you know, sharing albums and things like yeah. that. I, I know and like so many other tools, the free one gets you X benefits, and then there's a premium that gets you X, right. Y, and Z benefits. You can upload more pictures at a time, get more storage. You know, it it we're tightwads, but that doesn't mean we expect everything to be free. We do understand you have to pay for things once in a while. Sure, and a difference here is uh, uh, 
Well, for Picnic, uh, they're, I think, charging for more functionality. While Picasa, you really get all the functionality, and they're serving up ads. And then, of course, uh, they're charging for storage space, which makes sense because that's a very real uh, additional cost for them, uh, having to add servers and whatnot. So. All right, so there you have a lineup of tools for the starving artist. If you if you want to be an artist, or you are an artist, or or you want to teach artists and inspire artists, these are some tools that you can use that cost uh, from nothing to very little, and and are really first class tools. We have some cloud based tools, um, and uh, we have some uh, um, what's the night some download tools right we, we don't have a word for that native do we? i guess native native, yeah, app. native apps oh and we forgot to mention uh, the draw it light uh, we'll have all this on the show notes but the website of that is bohemiancoding.com right that one's important because it is uh, not exactly what you think although i would think if you uh, i'm sure where i got that is googling draw it light so yeah. uh, you know google again maybe you binged it or yahooed it uh, no. no you googled no. it yes. yeah those words don't exist for me. <laughs> All right, and so uh, there's our uh, um, our little roundup there. So we'll move straight into the uh, tech tip of the week, and this is a tool that uh, I can't believe I hadn't mentioned previously, right. um, and it's something that has made my life much easier uh, over time. And if you uh, choose to use it, it will make your life much easier too if you're a network administrator. Uh, if you're the kind of guy who is in charge of uh, network accounts and you want somebody else to be in charge of network accounts, password control is the perfect tool. And that's all, that's the, the name is what it says. It's password control. It's from WiseSoft, W-I-S-E-S-O-F-T, dot co dot uk so it's our our uh, friends over there in the united kingdom uh, created this thing and it's a dead simple interface where you type in a username and there's a change password button and that's it and so i i put this on all the teacher workstations every teacher has the ability to uh, change passwords and that's all they can do and and uh, it works with active directory Um, i assume it might work with other ldap based things like uh, novell uh, directory structure but it's designed for active directory and that's what that what i use it for so what you do is you 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 open it and there's a box that says username you type in some or part of the username or right. all of the usernames. Yeah, you can search. Right. And click the search button. It finds that user and it lists their first name and their last name. And so you're sure you got the right person. And then there's a password box and you type in what you want their password to be, or you can click the G button and it'll generate a good random strong password. Nobody ever uses that. Right. Uh, so you just type in like ABC uh, or one, two, three, um, ABC. It's easy. As- <laughs> Sorry. I, I- had a Michael Jackson moment there. Uh, and then click change password and that's it. Done. Um, or you can, you can disable account or if an account is locked out, you can unlock it. And so, uh, with the directory structures or excuse me, the security structures that Active Directory has, you can only edit people lower than you, uh, in the hierarchy. So for example, I put this on all my teachers' uh, workstations. They can only edit students. They can't change their own passwords or other teacher passwords. They still have to come to me for that. Right. But it's a really handy way. It takes a couple of seconds. They don't have to send a kid down to the room. They uh, out of the room. They don't have to make a, a support request for me. They don't have to wait for it to happen. In just a few seconds, if the kid forgets his password, uh, they can change it. And this is going to happen uh, 800 times over here in the next few weeks when school starts. Every student that comes in here. 
is not going to remember their password and it has to be changed. So right. uh, if, if you're in that same boat, I recommend you download this. Again, I'll have a link to it uh, on the show notes when I post them, but it's at ysoft.co.uk. It's called Password Control. It's absolutely free. Uh, they have some other good stuff there on their uh, on their site, other free things, but uh, that's the one that we're going to be talking about right now is, is Password Control, a great free uh, tool. All right. Well, sounds good. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I should touch on that too, cause it's definitely impacted my life. You know, I don't get those requests, which is nice. And, uh, I don't know what we would do without that. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember what we did do without it. And that was, is they just sort of lined up outside my door and they'd come yeah. in one at a time. Well, what's your username? All right. One, two, three. What's your username? One, two, three. Right. And then, you know, of course, then they, you check the box. User has to change password. And then when they go one, two, three, they change it. That's all there in that interface as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you're a fog user, it's easy to make a fog snap in and roll that out. Just another little plug for fog there. Which I think we do have it as a snap in, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, nice thing. That way, uh, you get a new teacher in or whatever. Yeah. We can just deploy that out piece of cake. Oh, oh, fog alert, fog alert. Um, we discovered in the newest uh, version, 0.29, yes. if anybody out there is having this trouble, uh, just recently I've had to set a few people straight on this. In the new version, 0.29, if you are using Active Directory credentials, um, and you want to, uh, have it rename the computer and join the domain, like, right. like that's one of the great things that Fog does. In the settings, uh, in Fog, where you put the username in, now you have to have domain name backslash username where it used to right. just be username. So like if your username was, um, installer, it used to be just type installer. Now you have to type the name of your domain backslash installer. So all you fog users out there, if suddenly after your upgrade, things aren't adding to the domain, check that. That was buried in a forum post somewhere and it took me almost a day to find it. But once I did, we made the change and all those machines Im immediately began joining to the dom domain and I did the happy fat man dance. Right. And it really, we what, had that problem going on, I think, for maybe two or three weeks and we were just so buried in, you know, what we were doing that, you know, we didn't have any time to research it. And once you had a chance to research it, uh, yeah, you dug down deep into a forum before you were able to find that. But, uh, yeah, there was a couple of those little gotcha kind of obscure changes uh, to this release that, uh, you know, can be a little bit tough to deal with. Yeah. So, Chuck and Jim, put that on your front page. If you're listening, that should be uh, that needs to be uh, a little more attention drawn to that because that is a major change uh, that is not backwards compatible. Uh, and also, uh, just a note: when you make that change in in the fog settings, that only affects new machines you register. So you'll have to go back and change all your old registers too. Uh, and the way I did right. that is I have a group just called All Computers and. Ironically, all computers are in that group, and I just changed the settings in that group, and it got pushed out to everything. So if you do it that way, it's a, there's an easy way to get to that. But uh, I just wanted to, wanted to mention that while we were on the subject of fog because that was a biggie. Yeah, absolutely. And we were, I mean, it was uh, going to crush us. As far as fog goes, you know, we're kind of like, ah, we might have to roll back here because, because of that. So I was glad that you found that because, uh, life is right again. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I guess I'll, uh, roll right on to the teacher tip of the week. And, uh, uh, that is open clip art gallery. 
and I believe it's openclipartgallery.org. But uh, again, we'll have the link to that in the show notes. And what it is, it's a, an archive of clip art that can be used for free for any use. Uh, so, uh, you know, certainly a problem, I think, in schools. Uh, teachers love to use uh, print shop. Yeah. Various print master. Of, uh, right. And like all that. of these programs. And those programs are great, uh, as far as this goes, because they do have a lot of this type of content, right? You can pay, uh, 30 or $40 for that program and you get a hundred thousand different clips or whatever. Uh, but this is, uh, just another resource to add to your list. Uh, they have 32,733 clips. Approximately. Approximately. <laughs> right? yeah, as of today. Uh, and, uh, and they're free to use for any purpose. So that's great. Uh, it was started in 2004 by uh, John Phillips and Bryce Harrington. And, uh, they, they also, they run it as a, uh, as a community. So I'm kind of picturing this would be really cool to do as a teacher. If you were teaching, uh, some sort of like graphics, uh, is to have your kids That's make a good up, idea. yeah, make up graphics and, and then, you know, uh, submit it to, to them and, you know, help build that community i think if there were more teachers out there doing that kind of thing i mean just think how great that would be then you're helping other teachers other teachers you're you're building this robust uh you know clip art gallery that's free and teachers can use it without having to worry about copyright issues and uh even with a lot of those programs if you've ever read the licensing in something like printmaster uh you can't just use that for whatever the heck you want to do. Uh, and you have to be very careful about how you use those graphics. Um, even though you did pay for the program. Right. Uh, so, uh, that's, that's my t- teacher tip of the week. Uh, add it to your list, open clip art gallery. All right. And, um, I guess that brings us to the end of this week's show. Oh, uh, the end of this week. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm looking forward to. So, uh, yeah, uh, again, this is a Thursday episode that we're recording on Friday and, uh, I'll get that out as soon as possible. So, uh, uh, hopefully as things die down and, and summer, uh, comes to an end uh, we'll be able to uh, be a little more rested and a little more chipper but if we sounded a bit downtrodden today it's because we're pretty exhausted right um, but uh, as always we thank you for listening and we crave your feedback we need it this is your show and uh, you need to tell us um, what we're doing well and and what we need to improve on so that we can do that for you you are our customers and and we are your servants so uh how you do that you go over to vtightwadtech.com uh there uh, every show has a uh, a blog post where you can uh, have a conversation in the comments. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, honestly, there's not a lot of uh, stuff that we put out there yet, but it's another venue for conversations. So uh, if you're on our uh, Facebook uh, page and you can have a conversation in the wall and, and, and we'll read that. But uh, again, we're begging people to go to our Facebook page and like us so that we can have the, the Facebook vanity URL and, and become real people. It's sort of like Steve Martin and the jerk, you know, when the, when the phone book came, he was like, I'm a person now. Right. We want to be a person. We want Facebook to see that we're a person. And <laughs> And then the way we do that is not by getting in the phone book, but by getting a hundred people to like us. So even if you don't like us, like us, please have your yeah. grandmother who doesn't care anything about it. Like us every, there are 500 million people on Facebook. Um, surely a hundred of those can find their way over to our page and like us. Well, and a thing to mention with that is when you like something, you can, if, 
you know, if you feel compelled to do so, uh, is, uh, suggest it to your friends as well. So, uh, I, I don't know, you know, I hesitate to say that because, uh, you know, obviously I did that, but, uh, you know, you also don't like to get bombarded by that stuff. People liking every cause that, you know, they think is halfway worthy. And next thing you know, it's all over your page. And, uh, yeah, don't do that except with our show. It's okay to do that with our show. I give you permission. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> you can shamelessly promote promote our show. You can spam everybody you know about our show, but don't ever do it about anything else. Right. So just, you know, let's set that just, turn. There. Just that one. Yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we really, we love doing this. We hope it sounds like we love doing this because uh, we look forward every week to doing this show. And, uh, and you're the reason we do it uh, because we have an audience out there. Honestly, if we didn't have an audience, if we didn't have people out there downloading this thing, We'd stop doing it and, and, uh, and that would be a shame because we like it. We hope you like it. So, uh, uh, I guess we'll see you again next time and please join us on, on our website and, and, uh, let us know you're out there. If nothing, just stop by and say hello and, uh, and let us know you're out there. Yeah. Or give us a shout out about, uh, you know, something that you're using that, uh, we may or may not be aware of but uh, that you'd like to hear an episode on and uh, we'll, we'll put it in the lineup I did have a couple of people try to stump the tightwad uh, last time they they did not succeed it was right. something i had already now now let's just put that in terms there if you go to sourceforge and pull up one of seventy eight thousand things and pick the most obscure thing with only one pres- uh, uh, contributor <laughs> no i'm not going to have heard of that but if it's some major thing out there that is that has got traction is well known i defy you to find something i hadn't heard of absolutely so so go out there and do it and i promise i won't go google it just before i respond to you and say yes i have heard of it and if it's really good we've probably been using it and and actually have quite a bit to say about it so and if it's and if that's not the case and it's really good then we're going to start using it because that's that's what we're about right Right. so uh we we know about a lot of things i've been pounding the open source pavement for a while there but you are all collectively much smarter than i am so uh i look forward to your your uh, suggestions find me good stuff and i will steal it from you shamelessly <laughs> but we'll we'll help spread the word yeah, i'll say thank you yeah <laughs> all right that's all for this week and so until next time this is mark signing off and sean signing off